a couple of things that Bob talked about that I'll mention also when he was talking about preserving both garlic and onions. They can both be dehydrated. We dehydrated onions beautifully. They can be reconstituted and used in soups and stews. You can even take your dehydrated vegetables and drop them down in the freezer for even longer. Garlic can be ground up into a powder and you can use it your own granulated garlic. So there's a number of things that you can do to preserve your crops and after you've prayed about it and the resources are amazing, just um, don't be afraid. Pray, don't be afraid, experiment, use small amounts. But you know, just really I encourage you to um, learn because I'm gonna share with you, I've never done this before. <laughs> I'm a nurse, I speak one-on-one -on -one with people. And I'm terrified of being up front, and I thank you all for being my guinea pigs, my husband's encouragement. Never worked all this, but I'm gonna do it. And uh, the reason I say that isn't so much as a disclaimer, but to tell you, you can do this. What you're called to do, you'll do. I was a city girl. I knew about gardening from my grandparents, but I never canned. So when we moved to West Virginia in 2009, besides the fact that I was married to a grower, and of course, conversationally other things I learned, but I also spoke to um, local people and asked their opinion. And not only are they helping you, but you are helping them and you're doing what God put us here for. And so the country wisdom, when you all are looking for your homes, the country wisdom that you will run into is amazing, I see Ayana nodding her head, because you'll find this to be true. You make friends, really strong friends, when you work together. So I encourage you to work with people. I think Bob cut a bunch of slides that I actually, not slides, but I had given him pictures at another point in time. But I have pictures of working with an elderly woman that was in our neighborhood, very poverty stricken. She had many years of country experience. And I never tried to teach her about vinegar or anything else. I just learned from her. And I gave all the produce she could use to her. And she helped me learn the practical side of canning and preserving. And those principles were really powerful. And then when I do research, then I can apply what she showed me and I knew what she had done wrong and what she had done right. But more than that, I was able to actually really do things on a level and with a level of confidence that I wouldn't have had. So we were both helped. And that's something you can do. Uh, a young lady came up during the break and she asked me, was I going to cover canning? And, and I will because Bob's an amazing grower and he's been blessed. He. Um, he mentioned that we don't always work parallel. Well, first of all, we have over 100 acres, so you can't always work parallel because there's so many things to do. But because of a number of injuries and accidents and whatnot, um, that has really restricted his ability to do a lot of bending and kneeling and things like that. My daughter and I, and now myself, do the majority of the harvest, and or much of it, except for the big pumpkins and the, the manly stuff. He does all that. Um, 
but we do the harvest and we preserve the harvest and I've had to do a lot of learning and growing in the way I think about food and the farm and all of those things. But the Ball Blue Book, for anybody, this has everything. It has pictorial directories. It's laid out beautifully. It has step-by-step. -step. It's up here on the, on the board as well. But um, that is an amazing resource. And then this uh, National Center for Home Food Preservation, I, and I put their website up there. They have everything according to the standards that you would be held to because over and over again your canning books are going to tell you don't deviate from the recipes because it's dangerous because there's a number of of considerations in food preservation that you want to make safety first so why do we can to preserve our food and we do that um, two things in canning one, we're going to bring it up to a high enough heat that it can be preserved by killing off the microorganisms and other things that cause um, harm to us. And the other thing is to stop enzyme activity, primarily because that affects the flavor and the quality of the food. So for those two reasons, canning um, meets those needs. So when you're thinking about what you're going to can, you have to really think about what is the oh, what is the pH of that food? That's a huge consideration because your high acid foods and your low acid foods, and I'm going to find this arrow. There we go, other way. Okay, here we go. So the purpose of our canning, whoops, now see I see it, but you don't. Hang on. You will. The purpose of our canning is to preserve your harvest by the application of a high enough heat to do these two things. We just talked about that. Got ahead of myself. There's many, many different things, but this is probably the one that terrified me because when I was a girl, my sister cleaned out the refrigerator and threw out the spoils in the fridge, green beans in particular. The chickens ate it. They did, went into seizures, very active seizures, flopping around in the yard, died. The dogs ate the chickens, same thing happened to them, and so on. It was horrible. Left a huge impression on a 12-year-old girl. Botulism is no joke. Now the spores, the bacteria itself can be killed at the boiling level of water, which is 212 degrees. But the spores themselves don't die off, and so they can continue to grow in a closed, moist environment, which is where you're going to store your canned food. So you want to pressure can all your low acid foods up to, typically the spores are destroyed at 240 degrees, but pressure canning generally by the guidelines, and I'm not going to go through all of it because it's in these books but is up to about 250 degrees, and that will kill off that, uh, those spores that then create this horrible toxin. So be careful with your foods, and you know, in both in nursing with, I'm a nurse, in nursing with IV sites, but also with your food, when in doubt, <laughs> throw it out. <laughs> Don't take chances. If it looks not right, if it smells not right, and bear in mind botulism has no smell. So just use good practices.
green beans. Now these particular green beans, I put dill and garlic, and I put a little piece of red pepper. I think it's beautiful. Canning is your, like so many things, once you follow the outlined principles that you need to follow uh, very carefully, then the next thing is it's up to you how artistic, how creative, or what you want to do with it. With green beans, you can, I have been in a hurry where all I do is take off the stem end and I leave the little tails because the tails don't bother me. And I've laid them on a big cutting board with a chopping knife and just whacked them up and shoved as many in there as I wanted because I was running low on lids. Stuffed as many as I could and poured boiling water over, went with it. You can make them pretty like this. You can cut the, you know, the uh, little tail off. But remember that this is up to you. After you follow the basic principles, it's really up to you, your time, your resource, your artistic flair to do it how, how you want to do it. But remember, is green beans high acid or low acid? That's right. So what are we going to do with it? That's right. And follow the guidelines exactly. Now recently, I canned green beans with potatoes and onions because that's how we like to eat them in the spring and I did it as an experiment. But you have to take the longest processing time for any one of those ingredients and do it that way to do it safely. So make sure that you don't experiment. And when I say experiment, I read a lot of things before I did that. <laughs> so, you know, again, just be very, very careful. Um, I'm not going to go into detail about the canning processes because it would take up more time than we have and I think you'd be better off going to a canning class where you see the equipment and I, you know, and, and really each of you are going to do it at a different uh, volume and so you're going to have to look at what you have and works. I know some people that with their home gardens they'll actually just take, um, say for example, a big stock pot that three or four quart jars will fit inside. And when they can their low acid foods, uh, I'm sorry, high acid, they could just do that right in the kitchen, um, right there and use your stock pot and you never have to even have any canning equipment. You probably will need a lifter, a jar lifter, but a few simple things and you can get those at a farm store, at Walmart. It's not hard, yard sales. A lot of my equipment, and I don't know, again, some of the slides are kind of cut, but um, when, we, when we do tomatoes, I've had as many as 26 bushels, and I had them dripping across the floor. Use your high quality foods. Use the best of your harvest. One of the mistakes I made, or learning things I did was I had, to, <laughs> I had to learn to let some things go and realize that it wasn't a waste if it was going to the compost because it's coming back to nourish our farm the following year. And I could not, as a working nurse and on the farm with a producer, keep up with the volume. I couldn't. So I had to be realistic and you know, you'll have to do the same thing where you decide how much time, what supplies, what you need. But your basic needs um, with canning are to get the really basic equipment. And you can pick up a kit 
at a farm store or at a tractor supply, usually that everything is right inside of it. And then look into a high quality pressure canner when you want to do other things. And at that point, you could actually even take leftovers like beans and stews and things like that. And as long as you got very adept at it and made sure that you were following safety considerations, you could can your own food for periods of time when you don't have time. So those are things to think about. And that's really what I'm going to encourage you is to you know, think outside of the cookie cutter approach and look at what you do and what's the best for you and your family and your circumstance. Um, tomatoes, pardon? Oh, that's right. Tomatoes, uh, I process a lot of tomatoes, a lot of tomatoes. Um, we, at one time, were doing training classes where I was feeding I don't know, a lot of people anyhow. Um, and we used a lot of product. I'd probably can three or 400 quarts of food, um, maybe more, maybe make like three to 500 at the beginning. And I try not to, because I, I really don't like to keep things for more than two years, although um, I, I, I just, you know, people do. They keep them for much longer. But again, follow the strictest guidelines. And if you have any question about any of it, call your local um, exchange office. Pardon? Extension. Your local extension office. And they will help you. And not only that, but they will check your equipment. They'll check your pressure canners. I would probably discourage you from buying a secondhand pressure canner because it is a fundamental piece of equipment. But if you feel comfortable doing that and you take it to the extension office to have it checked for safety, then that probably would be okay. There's a few steps you can go through to do that safely. So tomatoes, I make my own um, salsa with all of our ingredients. And back to herbs on this note, I um, like cilantro and tomatoes don't grow at the same time. Cilantro likes the cold. So if I want to make salsa and I want to use my own cilantro and I don't want to use, you know, foreign cilantro or Walmart cilantro, that's what he was talking about, the ice cube method, where I can process my own cilantro, but I want it fresh. I don't want it dried. It changes flavor when it's dried, and it's not pretty, too. And sometimes when you dry things, they end up looking, or freeze them, they end up limp and gray. So the other thing that I like to do is to try to um, just do it as though I was putting it into my salsa right then, and then pour it, put, pack it into ice cube trays and then pour water over it and freeze that. Then when I pop that out, you have little cubes of cilantro that you can then add that volume and put it into your salsa in, say, July, August, well, more, late, but usually the last week of July up into September, depending on the growing season is when I'm going to have a glut of tomatoes. And that's when I want my own cilantro. And I want my own garlic. And I want my own onions. So again, onions, too, can be frozen. In fact, you don't even have to pre-process onions. You don't have to blanch them or anything. You can just clean them, chop them, freeze them. Take as much of the air out of the bag as possible, freeze them. And you can pre-measure all your ingredients even if you want to. So when you go to do your salsa, you can just put it all together. Or your spaghetti sauce or whatever you want. I keep it pretty simple because of the volume. We use a lot of salsa. We use a lot of spaghetti sauce. 
And then I do whole tomatoes where you just slip their skins off. And I also, now a lot of people will freeze their tomatoes. In West Virginia where we live, the power goes out every year. You can't be positive that your freezer is going to maintain a steady freeze. I lost a whole bunch of corn one year. We had a, a derecho go through and took power out for 12 days. And at that time, we didn't have a generator. We do now, but we didn't. So I took the one big freezer and packed everything into it and covered the whole thing in moving blankets. And it held in that freezer, but this freezer was out in the gym, and it wasn't as cool, and a whole bunch of frozen corn and all of its cornstarch came down on everything. So now when I freeze my corn, which I prefer, I put it on the bottom shelf and I put it in a tray. So if ever that happened again, it could go to compost and I wouldn't be spending days cleaning it up. <laughs> Might not be able to save it, but I wouldn't be spending days cleaning it up. Any questions about tomatoes? I'm, I shouldn't ask for questions. I'm sorry, at the end. We'll, we'll move on. Peppers. Now peppers, first of all, I will ask one question. Are green peppers a fully mature product? No, they're not. So these peppers were picked probably because Bob was pulling the plants, I'm going to guess. Because when he says he's going to pull a plant, I, <laughs> I go out and harvest. So I assure you I did not process those green ones. But when I go to process my peppers, what I do, because it's what I enjoy and I enjoy it all year, is I clean them, I de-seed them, and then this particular photo was a stock photo, and they cut it the other way, not that it matters, but I cut them in half to clean them, I slide everything out with my thumb, pulling off the stem, it's fast, and then I sliver them. And then I pack those slivers sort of in a row into a Ziploc freezer bag, and I pull the air out of them and I freeze them. And I use those all year. When I pull them out to use them, it's really, I do them in quart freezer, quart, uh, quart, not quart, but uh, yeah, quart bags. When I pull them out to use them, depending, sometimes I'll just use them like that for say, I don't know, stir fries or um, to be pretty on top of an entree as, you know, like people would do pepper steaks. And other times I will just pull out a little tube of them. I'll break it off because they're all vertical laying next to each other, I'll just break them off and then I just put them on my cutting board and I chop them up before they start to thaw because then they cut really nicely into little tiny giblets. But that's what works for me. And it also keeps my freezer space minimal because it's compact. So that's what I do with those. Um, I do not can peppers. I don't like canned peppers. However, I have thought about, and I probably would because most of you that have made um, plant-based cheese sauces know that it calls for pimentos. Don't do that. Just take out some of your frozen peppers and throw it in there. Your frozen red peppers, and if you had yellow ones, use yellow ones, because all they're really for is color and they put a little flavor and they give you some nutrients. So don't buy pimentos anymore. You have your own. You know, just, just do that. And you don't have to, if you have a Vitamix, you don't even have to do any more than just peel it off the frozen thing and throw it in your Vitamix. You're done. Do it to the color you want. Don't even worry about measurements. You're looking at the color. So um, I have thought about roasting them. 
is what I started to say. Roasting my red peppers. Um, I've done it for sandwiches and things, but I've thought about roasting them. Mm, I haven't done it. I don't like canning food because, I mean, I do can my salsa and spaghetti sauce and green beans. I have canned corn. I have canned beets. I have canned uh, pickles galore when I was in my training. Um, I don't like all that. I'm not wasting my time doing that. So um, I want it fresh, as fresh as possible. I like frozen food. You're maintaining your color, your flavor, in a lot of your minerals. Um, canning, by the time you sweat it out in your canning kitchens, and I'm just being honest with you, um, you're losing a lot of nutrients. You will preserve some crop and you will have some nutrition, but is it the only way? I think, like Bob says, fresh is best and grow year round and eat what's there and then preserve what you can or need to. But I agree with that entirely. So I first had the picture of the canned corn that I did with friends. I since gave it all to them. <laughs> I don't like canned corn. And um, when I was reading the directions in here for freezing corn, because I've been freezing it, but I've been freezing it with neighbors for quite some time. And I was trying to remember back what I did. Charlie cuts the corn off the cob before he blanches it. And then we bring it to boil in a big old pot like that one there off to the left in the middle on top of the canning stove. And he brings it to a boil, simmers it a couple minutes, and then we pour it through, it, through a process of rinses. And what you end up with is you've taken off a lot of that cornstarch. And so now when you're, it's not a frozen clump. It's a little bit more um, dry and you can break apart. Then I can break apart chunks to add to my soups, stews, um, corn chowder, uh, succotash chowder to add to chili, you know, homemade plant-based chili. So you can break off pieces where you're not doing just corn. But again, if corn is something you absolutely love and you want creamed corn or you want other things, then, then do that. And creamed corn probably wouldn't be bad canned. I just, it's not my preference. And so that's not how I do it. But I have, I've done a lot of canned corn and I've given most of it away. And in West Virginia, they pickle it. I strongly advocate, and I don't want to offend anyone, but just say no thank you. <laughs> That's my little granddaughter, Lydia. And she, <laughs> we have a number of berries. So now that is really my canning. That's what I'm going to tell you about canning today. There's lots of classes. In fact, there's some really highly qualified people here that have done full classes on canning. That's all I'm going to say about canning. Um, I've done a lot of it. I learned from the local people. You know why we can. You, you can follow the principles. It's very readily available to you. Um, I have a, an elderly friend. As a matter of fact, I have a number in this book. Oh, I will make one more comment. This book right here, and you can pick up anywhere. I like that it's waterproof, so just a little plastic binder. And all my recipes that everybody gives me and things I pull off the internet 
are in there. And I draw and I write and I keep a pencil and I do the same thing with my recipe books because all of us are in a process of learning. So when you do something, I strongly recommend you take a pencil and write it down. That way you know what was good and what was bad. And you can even say, hmm, this was lousy. I'm not doing this again. Usually you'll pull the paper and throw it out then. But you know, you can, or you can say, my family loved it, but I thought it wasn't that great. Or whatever your little comments are. But I keep that, and in that are a number of homemade recipes from my dear Gay Bailey. And um, she cans everything. Potatoes, bananas, <laughs> celery stalks. Why, I don't know, but she also tried to scrub the color off of my carrots. So all I'm saying is everybody has their own opinions. And um, just be aware of the principles and what you're doing. And learn and graciously learn from the people around you. Please don't correct them <laughs> unless they ask you. Learn from them. Berries are something we grow and probably will grow more of because our fruit trees just, anyhow, Bob can talk about that at another point in time. But um, berries, we have a number of really amazing, both uh, volunteer sources of wild berries, blackberries. Uh, these, I think these might, I think these are black raspberries. Off to the right, these are our blueberries that are very well established now and really put out more fruit than we can even pick. Bob will tell you that you need to pick that fruit before it's ripe enough to fall off the vines or at that point you can't, can't keep ahead of the birds. So pick your berries so that you get all you want before the birds realize how wonderful it is because then you're done especially if you have it in any large volumes. And you want to pick your, ah, again, I'm so frugal, I wanted to save every berry, don't do that, you'll lose your whole harvest. Just pick the cream of the crop, and there's a reason raspberries are so expensive. Don't try to save any raspberries that are mushy, because your whole batch will be. Now blueberries, you see where some of these are pink, those of you that are not colorblind. If you pick your blueberries in the evening when it's not so blazing hot, it's hard to see, you know, if they're fully ripened or if you're colorblind. Blueberries you can set in a cooler, uh, not even cool, but just in a darker place in between cardboard and lay them out and maybe only three, four deep, and they'll continue to ripen. And you can check on them every day and you can let them all turn blue and then put them in the freezer. I don't wash them. Now that may, you can wash yours if you like to, but we grow ours organic and they're up off the ground. And I pick clean and I keep my hands clean. But if you wash them, make sure they're dry or they're all gonna clump together. And that's okay if you don't mind them all clumping together. I want mine to free flow. My grandmother daughter loves them and I want to put them on her tray in her, <laughs> in her high chair and she lets them, she's learned to let them slightly thaw and then she picks them up and eats them that way. And I, I think that's great. I think, you know, however, way, you can make them into blueberry pies but you've lost a lot of nutritional value but you can just freeze these and eat some every day and I advocate doing that as a nurse, as a medicine. But um, obviously, not only can you freeze your berries, and that's what I do, people can them, they turn gray. I won't do that. That's not something I'm gonna do. But if I heard we were gonna have a power outage, 
that was going to last two or three weeks. I might take my frozen ones out and go to my gas stove and can them then rather than losing them. But I wouldn't initially do that. So you can also make things out of your berries and you can freeze that. Like you can make your pies ahead and then freeze them frozen and just don't cook them completely. You know, just leave the crust just slightly undercooked and then you can pop it out and, um, you know, and heat it up and you'll have your pies ready from your own berries. Grapes are amazing um, foods raw they're these that we grow are a little sour um, under the skin but they're still very nice and they have their full seeds they're what honey they're a, a heirloom um, anyhow no no and they're not really a table grape either they are really more if you were to say I would say more like a concord perhaps great but what I do with them and I've done it a number of ways I've hand-picked each individual grape because they don't all ripen at the same time I've, I've picked each individual grape I've cut clumps and then sat in air conditioning and, and then pulled them off um, I've waited till they all ripen and then a bunch of them shrivel and dry so I've, I've done all the things you can do and this year I actually did go through and I picked out all the ripe ones and then I went in the house and you still end up having to pull the little stems off individually. So get comfortable, you're going to take a while, visit with a friend, invite a neighbor over, do some counseling, enjoy yourself. But then what I do with my grapes, besides those that we eat all during the harvest, is I have, and I think we're a little overexposed, but I have a three-piece system. I don't know if you can see it. It's a three-piece system. In the bottom is water. The middle section has like a funnel, almost like a bunt pan in the middle with a hole. No, not holes. That is actually like a bunt pan in the middle. The upper one is almost like a steam thing, and then there's a lid. So you bring this whole thing to a boil, and you see this. I don't know if you can see it, but you see this this is almost like a catheter. <laughs> As a nurse, I'm just going to say, it's like a catheter and it has a stop clamp just like on a catheter. <laughs> and I put that with the stop clamp on into a, another pot, a big enough pot, um, that I usually stack on some of those black crates upside down and make myself a table so that it's lower than my steaming grape. Um, and then when I see the juice coming into the tubing, I unclamp it, but I put a lid because otherwise that thing will flop around and you'll get grape juice all over you and everywhere. But I just, um, I just make juice out of it. So now one time I cut corners, busy, working, and I didn't cut them, and it looks like they didn't either. I didn't cut them off into individual grapes. I just threw the whole thing in there. Then there's times that I've taken an old pillowcase and taken all the stuff from the top and put into that and then squeeze, squeeze, squeeze till I got all the pectin out and made jelly out of it. I didn't have time for all that this year, so all that went to compost after I did the 
you know, when that all steams down, all the juice is out of it, and what you're left is with is skins and seeds and whatever stems are left over. Now this year I did it super clean because I did sit down and clean it up. But I only point all that out to say that you own it. You own it. You do, you, nobody can tell you you're doing it right or wrong. You learn from it, and it depends on you and what your, um, what your needs are. And I canned my grape juice in the past, and this year I froze it. And the difference is, oh, it is like truly new wine. Where the ones that I canned in the past, I realized I don't want to drink it. It's loaded with minerals, but it has, mm, I don't want to drink it. So why do I want to do all that work? So I froze it. It's amazing. I popped that, I did it in these little screw down, um, I wish I had taken a picture of one, but anyhow, in containers. So then as soon as it freezes, all you have to do is put a little bit of neutral water over it and pop the bottom a little bit and it slides right out and then I put it into freezer Ziploc bags. And then when I take it out of the freezer to use, I just put it into a pitcher and let it come to temperature and it is wonderful. So that's how I do my grape juice and how I process grapes. I also made some really nice grape jelly. And there's a lot of different things with pectin. So, you know, do your research on pectin. You know, there's the sure gel, but there's also Pomono's pectin, and there's other types of pectins that you can get, just plain pectin. Um, I am not a jelly pro, and we don't eat enough of it for me to actually get to be a jelly pro. There's even freezer jellies. So, you know, you, you feel free to follow up on that. Thank you. Do you all want to take a little break? And then Bob's going to go back to um, his topic. And at the end, if you have questions, you can ask me and I'll do my best. Thank you. All right. If we'll settle in, we'll cover a few more things here and then give you an opportunity to press your questions. Um, what? Uh, you know, what our intent was, was, was not to make expert canners out of all of you or expert dehydrators or expert food dryers or food freezers, but we just wanted to point out the array of things that are available to you. So, you know, you can explore these things on your own, decide what fits with you. One of the comments that Lenita made that I heartily agree with is that we far prefer frozen uh, products to canned products, uh, but we're also aware that with our circumstance, we do have a generator now, which is helpful to us, but we live in a very rural area, and if we should lose power, uh, we have the option of taking that frozen product and taking it, uh, you know, to our, our, our gas uh, range and canning it. Uh, before it goes bad on us too. So uh, uh, freezing things is a little riskier. You do need to have some, uh, you know, some backup systems in, in, in the case that you're depending on that food for, uh, you know, for your security. Uh, but even with freezing and, uh, you know, just having the awareness that, okay, if it looks like our power is going to be out for two weeks again, uh, we don't want to run the generator that long. Uh, we'll just take the stuff out of being frozen and in Canada at that point if necessary. 
Uh, the other thing that uh, Lenita asked me to, uh, to, to mention was the way she handles the berries. You wanna, you wanna cover that? Uh, I need you on the mic if you're going to. So. Okay, uh, basically when, we free, when she freezes the berries, I, I harvest uh, uh, the majority of the berries and we get, when we're out picking berries, our harvest rate is about two to one. We eat two, we store one, we eat two, we store one. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll tell you, I never felt so wealthy in my life as I did the first time that we went out and harvested all the blueberries we could eat. I mean, I ate and ate, and I love berries. We eat them almost every day. And uh, to be able to go out and eat until you're full uh, was really a treat for me, because I mean, berries are expensive when you buy them. That was, that was a real treat. And now we, we have that luxury virtually every day. Uh, but when she freezes the berries, what we do is um, we uh, basically spread them out on a, on a tray and freeze them on a tray so they're, they're not stuck together too. We don't just put these in a bag and freeze the whole bag or you have a bag of berries, not berries in a bag. And uh, by doing them loose like that, flash freezing them, then we'll take them off the trays and put them in bags and store them. Then they, then they, then they come off individually and it works very well. Um, I've only got a couple more things I'm gonna share with you here and then uh, we'll uh, basically cut the recording and, and take your questions and, and uh, be happy to try to answer anything we can that uh, either one of us has covered today. But I do want to talk a little bit about short-term storage. I mentioned this earlier, and uh, these are some of the carrots we grow. Uh, Lenita mentioned one of our elderly neighbor friends we gave some of these carrots to, and her response uh, after... Uh, uh, Lenita asked her how she liked them. She says, well, yeah, they were pretty good. And you know, if you scrub them hard enough, you can get that purple off of there. <laughs> <laughs> and they'll really look like carrots, you know, they'll be orange underneath. Uh, but anyway, there are some times when, and especially in a home gardening situation where you're gonna have a glut of something and uh, uh, rather than taking steps at dehydrating or other things. All this stuff can be dehydrated too, by the way, even the corn. Uh, but we prefer, uh, the, we're, we're just sharing with you what we do, because that's worked for us. As Lenita pointed out, we're very busy people. We're short on time. We don't put uh, uh, you know, all the attention into our food preservation because with the luxury of having the farm, we have so much fresh food to eat all the time that uh, the, the canned food is really kind of our backup, our reserve. And uh, uh, the short-term storage is a real solution for you too. And I mentioned this morning that uh, for serious gardeners, it's worth having an extra refrigerator. That's all you need to do this. Um, and take your uh, excess products like carrots, cabbage, uh, turnips, beets, uh, these things will, will hold up for a long period of time, uh, even just refrigerated. And I suggest rather than trying to do this in your home refrigerator and fitting your soy milk around these crates that are going to be in there for a long period of time, get a separate refrigerator for doing this. And the reason for that is <clears throat> you don't want to seal these things up. You don't want them to dry out completely, but you don't want them totally sealed either so that they're in a moist environment all the time. Uh, so you can see the, the, the crates that we use on our farm, I actually got from a nursery. Uh, and these are bowl 
uh, bulb, flower bulb shipping crates. They ship flower bulbs from the Netherlands to North America in these crates. They work really nicely for us on the farm. We've got about a hundred of these that we use for all kinds of purposes. And as you can see, they're just ventilated on the sides. And when we put uh, uh, a crate of a product into the, into the refrigerators that we have, I use food grade plastic storage bags to wrap around this crate, but I don't seal it. They go on lengthwise. Uh, one of the things that I should have mentioned earlier too is anytime you're handling food with plastic products, particularly plastic bags, make sure they're food grade plastic bags. It's not uncommon for us to see folks uh, on, on the roadside that are selling green beans or you know tomatoes or something and they're storing it in plastic trash bags. That's really not acceptable. Those plastics have lots of toxins in them and it's important to use food grade storage bags. You can find them on Amazon. Uh, we use a, a food grade storage bag that's quite large. It holds a little over a bushel and uh, we, when, we, when we harvest our lettuce, that's what I take the lettuce to farmer's market in. I can get 20 or 25 heads of lettuce in one large bag, uh, but they are food grade bags and that's important. <clears throat> And essentially when you want to do the short-term storage, clean your product, um, wash it well, uh, let it dry again. These carrots have been washed, but they're not wet. And the reason for that is that they're dried before they go into refrigeration. And these things will last a, a, a very good long while for you in that, uh, in that circumstance. And oftentimes they'll last as long as a crop cycle. So if we have a, a planting of carrots and I extend that uh, use of the carrots for four to, to six weeks, uh, by the end of that four to six weeks, we've got fresh carrots again. So that is the way to, to, to make use of some of the cycles in, in doing all of this. Okay, uh, that's a very coarse overview of what we do and how we do it is uh, partially explained, part of it's going to be based on like what Lenita was telling you, what are your needs, what are your circumstances, and the thing that I love about my wife most when it comes to dealing with these types of things is she's fearless. She's smart in understanding the food safety aspects of what she's doing, but she's fearless about what she will attempt and how she does it. Uh, you heard her talk about the various different ways she's done the grapes. And what she did this year was just her inspiration. The canned grape juice, it turns color, it's not as sweet, it's not as vibrant. I think I'll freeze it instead and we'll try that. And so that's what she did and the result was fabulous. Now she didn't get that out of a book anywhere, she just took the initiative to experiment a little bit. And that's where that term experimental knowledge becomes so important. The key thing to remember, and this is true both on my side of the production in farming and her side of the food preservation in farming, is get yourself away from being menu driven in everything. Everybody seems to want a recipe that they can follow because they lack the confidence of understanding or comprehending the principles themselves and employing those principles as it's pertinent to your circumstance. I run into this all the time in gardening. 
you know, when it comes to soil science or pest control or whatever it might be, people want a, a, a program to follow. And the reality is when we're dealing in a natural environment with so many different variables, it's a matter of understanding which principles to apply and how to apply them to solve your problem that is really the most effective way to do it. So when we teach agriculture at our place, I teach principles that are, uh, uh, that, that are consistent throughout any place in the world where you can grow crops. It's not a matter of how do I do it here and how do I do it there. It's a matter of understanding the principles so that you can determine what steps to take and what protocols to follow. And that's true just as much with the food preservation experiences that we've had here. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.